Now, they say that love is blind, and I'm sure that there are some parents who have felt that's the case when they saw what their son or daughter brought home. (laughs) But we need to be fair here and admit that a parent's judgment about someone can be just as blind as anyone else's. You know, a parent can easily be blinded by clothing and piercings and tattoos. But in spite of that, we do rightfully worry about our kids or our grandkids, about them wearing their hearts on their sleeves as they enter into the dating years. I made a point of telling Grace I wanted her here this morning, and she was relieved. She's in nursery. <laughs> but she promised me she'd read the sermon. Okay, so Anna, you've got to give her all the details. All right? All right. All right. It is a concern, is it not? When those dating years roll around, and it's so easy to get hurt in love. And no one wants to see their children or their grandchildren hurt. And it is true. That all too often, love is an emotional response expressed before knowledge and without discernment. So we, like the Apostle Paul, pray for those we care about. And we pray that they might practice discerning love. A love that abounds in knowledge a love that approves the excellent, a love that aspires to sincerity, and a love that acts with righteousness. You know, if 1 Corinthians 13 can be called the love chapter, surely Philippians 1, 9 through 11 can be called the love sentence. And I pray this that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Discerning love abounds in knowledge. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Paul's prayer was that the Philippians' love abound still more and more. Now, some have suggested that he was here hinting that he wanted them to send him more money. But that's a cheap shot. Paul was grateful for their gifts, and the church did support him, but he never sought those gifts from them, not not for himself. What he did seek was their love, and he wanted their love to abound toward him, toward each other, and toward God. There's no need to limit the love mentioned here to love that's only focused in One direction. Paul wanted all the loves in their lives to abound more and more. Not in emotional intensity, 
but in real knowledge and discernment. True love is never blind. It sees others as they really are, warts and all. It doesn't overlook faults and weaknesses. It wants to know the truth. And it actually seeks to discern faults and weaknesses, not in order to condemn someone, but to be able to act appropriately and to do what is best for all concerned. Now, obviously, we never turn our back on someone and refuse to do the loving thing for them. But sometimes the most loving, appropriate thing to do is to carefully consider what kind of relationship we should have with someone. With nearly half of all marriages ending in divorce, we need to practice discernment before entering into a committed personal relationship. And we need to teach our children to do the same. We need to teach our kids to ask the hard questions, questions about faith, questions that reveal the depth of someone's relationship with God, questions about personal goals, what they hope to achieve in life, and what they want their family to look like. Now, it takes time to gain such knowledge and to be able to discern if someone is the one with whom you can build a life that will honor God and in which love will flourish. But contrary to a commonly held assumption, living together is not the way to do that. You know, the evidence is overwhelming that living together does not enhance the chances of a successful marriage. In fact, the opposite is true. Once a commitment is made legally binding, it's not unusual for everything about that relationship to change. And the prospects of divorce actually increase. And, of course, living together before marriage is immoral. It violates the biblical commandment to keep the marriage bed undefiled, and it disregards the warning that God will judge fornicators and adulterers, those who practice premarital sex and those who practice sex outside of the bonds of marriage. Still, it's essential that couples get to know each other and know each other well before marriage. And that takes time. They need to take time to, to have real knowledge about one another so their relationship can be based on truth and not fiction. The same is true of our love for each other and our love for God. We must take time to know each other well if we expect our love to abound. And isn't it true that when you truly love someone, you want to spend time with them anyway? You want to know how they think, what they expect, what they like, so you can get close to them and bring them joy. And if you love God, 
You want to know all there is to know about him. You want to know what he's like, what he expects, and what brings him joy. And the more intimate our relationship with God becomes, the more we find ourselves loving what he loves. We find ourselves practicing discerning love, a love that abounds in knowledge and approves the excellent. So that you may approve, Paul writes, the things that are excellent. A knowledgeable, discerning love helps us make right choices in life. It enables us to approve the excellent. Now, the word for approve is the word used for testing metals to determine their value, to see if something is gold or something of less value. And if our eyes are open and our love is based on real knowledge, we will be able to discern not only the bad from the good, but the better from the best. Rather than making choices from the lowest of categories, we'll be discerning in categories of excellence. We won't settle for just okay. We'll be striving for excellence, and we'll know it when we see it. You know, we live in a day when we're faced with a lot of choices, and the choices can be very confusing. The best way we can prepare our kids to make right choices in life is to help them develop discerning love. Get them so in love with the best things in life that they will never settle for less. Now, I'm not talking about Cadillacs instead of Chevys. I'm talking about the highest and holiest expressions of love rather than the cheap imitations of love that abound in our world and the media and society at large. If we don't want our kids getting drawn into illicit sexual relationships, thinking they have discovered love, we better make sure they know love before they leave home. Discerning love abounds in knowledge. It approves the excellent, and it inspires or aspires to sincerity. Paul writes, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Discerning love leads to a life that's sincere and blameless. The word translated sincere is thought to have come from the words meaning sun-tested. It was a common practice for potters and sculptors to fill in cracks and voids in their product with wax. You know, just sitting in the room, it looked fine. But if you held it up to the sun, you could see the wax. Or worse, if it sat in the sun and got hot, the wax would melt. Our English word, sincere, may have even come from the words for without wax, indicating that something is really what it seems to be, that it's pure. And discerning love will be pure. And the word for pure means without handles. I love that definition of pure. Without handles, without glaring faults that others can grab hold of. 
trip over. It's a love that's pure from within and blameless without. And Paul says it will be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Now, that may mean more than just how long it will be sincere and blameless. That may actually speak of the motive for remaining sincere and blameless. A life lived in expectancy of the second coming is the life that will be lived sincerely and blamelessly. A life that will be S-O-N, son, tested. Not that we're afraid of his coming, that he might catch us in something, but because we long for his coming. We love him. We anticipate his coming. And we want to be found pure, sincere, and blameless when he comes, like the bride we sang about this morning, keeping herself pure until the bridegroom comes to take her home. That's ultimately how discerning Christian love keeps us pure. It focuses on Christ. And then it focuses on others. It doesn't seek its own, nor does it act unbecomingly. Instead, it acts with righteousness. Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Discerning Christian love that approves that which is excellent and aspires to sincerity will act with righteousness. It will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Now, when we hear of spiritual fruit, we generally think of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit that comes from the Holy Spirit working in our life, making us into the image of Christ. Well, the fruit of righteousness reflects that character, but it differs from the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of righteousness refers to specific acts that Christ, living through us, leads us to do for others. Acts that, in the highest sense, are acts of love. And as we know, love, agape love, is not emotion. It's action. It's doing what love demands whether we feel like it or not. If our love is discerning in nature, abounding in real knowledge of what is needed, it will result in righteous acts, acts, behaviors that reflect the nature of Christ and result in glory and praise being given to our Heavenly Father. And that, after all, is what we desire from ourselves, and from those we care about. We want lives that glorify God and lives that 
glorify God come through discerning love. Love that abounds in knowledge, approves the excellent, aspires to sincerity, and acts with righteousness. And that love can be ours if we're willing to be cleansed of the sin that blinds us to true love. The sin that deceives us into accepting cheap substitutes for the real thing. God wants to pour out his love upon us and then love through us with discerning love. A love that is high and holy. A love that blesses both the loved and the giver of love. And that love can be yours if you're willing to be cleansed. Cleansed not only of your personal sin, but cleansed of the preconceptions that the world dumps into your head. Cleansed of those things that that muddy the water. Cleanse those things that, that blind us to the truth. We need to be cleansed of all of that. And then we need to accept what we find in God's Word. Those things that are holy and excellent and sincere. And lead to a life filled with that kind of love. Discerning love. It'll come. If we ask to be cleansed and allow God's Spirit and His Word to cleanse us and make us into a vehicle of His love. That's my prayer for myself and my prayer for you. Let's stand.